With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast Prospect Edition brought to you by the good folks at Christian Hockey. I am Ryan Kennedy, and we are taking your questions today, all things prospects. So let me have them, folks. I love to hear them. I got Stephen, the producer here. He's going to feed me the questions. So Stephen, what do we got to kick off this thing? All right. Our very first question is about Joel Therby. And the question is, give me one second. David Jones asks, when will Joel Farabee come up and play for the Philadelphia Flyers? Well, I like this one, and I'm a big fan of Joel Farabee. I don't think the Flyers need to rush him because this is his first year of pro, and playing for Lehigh Valley, I think he's going to get a lot of good reps, and he's going to learn the pro game, even though he was coming from a very good Boston University program in the NCAA. Now, you look at the Flyers right now, they got some pretty good left wingers up there. Obviously, Claude Giroux, Oscar Lindblom is playing pretty nicely. You know, and then you get into the bottom six. So you ask yourself, do you want Joel Farabee playing limited minutes in the NHL, or do you want him getting a bigger role with the Phantoms down in the AHL? I would say at least for the first half of the season, you want him in Lehigh Valley. And here's the other interesting thing. Joel Farabee is still eligible for the World Junior Championship. So he can go over to the Czech Republic with Team U. USA, shoot for a gold medal, and then come back and either stay with the Phantoms or maybe get a call-up with the Flyers, depending on injuries, where Philadelphia is in the standings, for example. There's a lot of different things there. You know, the fact that the Flyers added Chris Stewart gives them a little more depth and obviously very different players, but I think Farabee's in a really good place right now. Two goals in his first two games with the Phantoms, so I would just kind of let him ride there in the AHL for this season. Maybe you give him a game or two just so he gets the NHL experience, but otherwise, I think maybe next year you see him in a Flyers uniform. Speaking of the Phantoms, we got a question from a guy named Danny Phantom Fan, based off of the, uh, the TV show, I'm assuming. Uh, should we expect Philip Zadina to get called up soon? Is it really best for him to be playing in the AHL right now? Well, this is a good sort of complimentary question for the Joel Farabee one. I do think Zadina should be in Grand Rapids right now. He's certainly a great talent, but you look at the Red Wings, and it was pretty much an open competition in training camp. They had a lot of young players vying for slots. Zadina didn't earn it, and that's fine. This is a young kid we're talking about, and... I like the way the Red Wings are set up right now. They have some young guys up with the big club making contributions. You know, Tyler Bertuzzi, he's been in the league for a couple of years now, but Tara Hirose is up there. For Zadina to make it to the NHL, he has to prove that he's dominating with Grand Rapids, and he also has to prove that he's the winger most deserving 
of getting that call up. You look right now at Grand Rapids, they have a wealth of young talent. You have Jenny Svechnikov, Giovanni Smith, Ryan Kuffner, who was signed as a college free agent by the Red Wings. It's not just Philip Zadina, so he has to be better than those guys. He has to prove that his skill set is the one that Detroit needs right now in order to get that call up. And I think for a kid that was drafted so high, the tendency is to want him up there and say, oh, yeah, we need Zadina in the Red Wings lineup. Like, you know, he's a blue chip prospect, and that's true, but he has to earn it. And I think Steve Eiserman and everybody else affiliated with the Red Wings right now realize that if Zadina is going to be a well-rounded weapon in the NHL, he's got to earn it. And he can do that in Grand Rapids. And once he does that, then you bring him up to Detroit. I don't want to put a timeline on it, frankly. I just want to see Philip Zadina kill it with the Griffins and make the decision in Detroit hard on the Red Wings. Uh, we're going back to Philadelphia with Anthony Louie, who asks, the Flyers are looking a lot better defensively, but lack depth scoring. Scott Lawton isn't a third-line center, and Nolan Patrick is hurt. So why isn't Morgan Frost up there yet? Well, again, I think you look at Morgan Frost, and to me, he's a top-six center. I think if you're going to put Morgan Frost in your lineup, you want to be getting all that skill that he brings to the table. Now, you look at Philly and you say, hey, it wouldn't be a terrible thing to have a third scoring line. Um, but again, he's a young pro. And I think with Morgan Frost, you want to see him dominate at the AHL level, round out his game, make sure that he's ready to take on NHL competition. And once he does that, you bring him up. I, th- I still think there's a lot of potential in Morgan Frost, but just like with those other two guys, there's no need to rush him. I think the Flyers are, you know, coming together. It's the beginning of the season. They're still figuring out what they have and who works with who. Um, but I think Morgan Frost, just like Farabee, just like Zadina, I want to see him dominate the AHL. And then you put him in that position where he can succeed with the Flyers. All right, Jay Fai asks, how soon until Ilya Samsonov becomes the starter for the Capitals? And I know we just posted something on the HockeyNews.com uh, today about the Capitals goalie situation. We saw Holpies kind of struggle to points, and Samsonov played really good. Do we see him, even then, like we looked at almost Phoenix Copley as being the backup this year, and Samsonov kind of fought his way there. Are we close to seeing Samsonov becoming the starter in Washington? I think we're close. And the fact that Copley is in Hershey with the Bears tells me that Washington doesn't expect Samsonov to be riding the pine too much this season. You don't want to just have your star goaltending prospect watching Braden Holtby for 60, 65 games. You're going to put Samsonov in. And, you know, Braden Holtby has struggled the past couple of seasons. Even the year that Washington won the Cup, you know, he seeded the crease to Philip Grubauer in the last quarter of the season. And then, of course, Holby rebounded in the playoffs and was integral in Washington winning that Stanley Cup. But in terms of overall play, it's been kind of rocky the past couple of years. With Samsonov, you know, he came over from Russia, learned the game in the AHL, and, you know, it, 
He's starting to get some time in the NHL. I would like to see him get somewhere in the neighborhood of 25, 30 games this year. Maybe I'm being idealistic uh, because Washington, frankly, they do have a shot at winning another title this year. And if they think Holtby is the guy to get them there, then obviously you do that. But I would love to see Samsonov get you know, around 25 starts. I guess I'll settle for 20. Um but you see what he can do here. And then you have sort of a big question in the summer where you say, okay, and you know, we talked about this on the regular podcast. Does Braden Holtby have a long-term future with Washington or will he price himself out of the market? It's a very vexing question, you know, if you're the Washington Capitals. But Samsonov gives you a nice little security blanket where you say, we think this kid can do it. And maybe what happens is if, if Holtby ends up leaving next season, Samsonov has a battery with somebody that you know is not going to be your starter, you know, like a 1B kind of Brian Elliott type of veteran. And Samsonov plays 45, 50 games next year. In that case, nominally, he is your starter. So for me, I would say as soon as next season. Uh, but obviously, Brayden Holtby's future is the big X factor there. This is a question that was asked a couple times, actually, during Tuesday's uh, regular podcast. But Leopold Myler asks, should the Habs send down Suzuki and call up Ryan Paling? We all know that Ryan Paling, he looked like he was destined to make the team. He got a concussion. Suzuki played really well in the preseason. Do you think we see a switch between the two, or do you like it the way it is right now? Or maybe do we see both on the roster at the same time at some point? Yeah, I think that right now... You're probably at the point where Suzuki's having trouble producing. Uh, you know, Montreal overall is having some problems as a defensive, you know, like unit. Like the forwards are having some problems defensively. Um, it's probably about time to make that switch. See what happens. Ryan Paling, uh, a tremendous two-way center uh, with great size. Nick Suzuki has that capability too. You know, I go back to the OHL playoffs last season where, you know, Suzuki's top line in Guelph accidentally smothered Ottawa's best players on the 67s. And the 67s had been on an incredible roll before they ran into the Guelph Storm. And Nick Suzuki deserves a lot of credit for that. So he has it in him. But so far in the NHL, it's been a bit of a struggle. So I I would say it's fair that, uh, you know, if Paling's ready, Give him a chance. Let Nick Suzuki get some more reps in Laval. Maybe get his uh, his scoring touch back. Put a couple of points on the board with the Rocket. Nothing wrong with that. Long term, I definitely see both of these guys on the roster at the same time. For me, one of the most interesting battles in hockey in the coming years is going to be Jesperi Kakanyemi, Ryan Paling, Nick Suzuki. All three centers, all three young guys, all bring different things to the table. Who can be that number one in Montreal? You know, right now, Kotkaniemi has the advantage. He's kind of the incumbent. He's been there the longest. But is he the guy long term or can Suzuki or Paling surpass him? It's a fantastic problem if you're a Habs fan because you're getting that great internal competition. And it's just going to be fun to see how it turns out. Got a nice shout out here on YouTube from Bradley Curry, who says he loves our podcast videos. So thank you, Bradley. Shout out to Bradley. Uh, I got one guy who's asked a couple questions now on uh, in, in previous episodes, and I want to say uh, thank you very much for watching from Germany, Sven V. What do you think, or who do you think, is the best New York Rangers prospect right now? 
Ooh, that's fun. I mean... Can't say Kako. Can't say Kako because <laughs> he's in the NHL. Vitaly Kravtsov, kind of struggling with North America right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a dark horse. I'm going to go with a dark horse here. My personal favorite Rangers prospect right now is Carl Henriksen. Um, he was taken in the 2019 draft. I see him as kind of a spiritual successor to Sebastian Ajo in Carolina, and I'll explain that. When Sebastian Ajo won gold at the World Juniors with Finland, he was the center between Patrick Laine and Jesse Pugliarvi. And Laine and Pugliarvi were kind of the, the young pups that just ran wild. They were the offense. They were the big dudes, you know, just having fun out there, taking everybody by surprise. And that really helped Finland win that gold. Sebastian Ajo was the conscience on that line. He was the guy that could sort of hang back if necessary or cover when, uh, you know, an offensive play got turned over and they had to go back the other way. Sebastian Ajo kept that line together. Um, when I look at Carl Henriksen, a guy who, like Ajo, doesn't have a ton of size, but he's an engine. You know, that's what Thomas Monten, uh, Sweden's world junior coach, told me in the summer. And, uh, you know, I also had a chance to ask Rangers GM Jeff Gorton uh, this summer what he thought of Henriksen. Obviously, he was a big fan as well. What you have here is a two-way center who can make those guys around him hum. And for Carl Henriksen, internationally, he has played with the Terror Twins, Lucas Raymond and Alex Holtz, the top 2020 draft prospects from Sweden who could go as high as third and fourth right now. Um, Henriksen has played with them and had success. He's the guy that can kind of tie that line together where you know Raymond and Holtz can just do their thing offensively, be those dazzling young guys that everybody likes to see. Uh, so for me, Henriksen is is my favorite Rangers prospect right now because um, he's a bit of a dark horse, but I think the upside is is very intriguing. And you like how he's played with the, the Terror Twins, so that's uh, that's pretty fun. That's right. Uh, we got one question here. I, I, I'll consider him a prospect, even though he's been he's played parts of about three or four seasons already in the NHL. And the question is, well, is Vladislav Kamenov, does he have an opportunity to play in the top six in Colorado? Uh, He's been injured. He hasn't played a game yet this season. They've got a good top six. Is he a guy that after some some momentum with Nashville, kind of struggled with injuries in the past, uh, does he have a chance to be a big contributor for the Colorado Avalanche? I think at this point, you're probably looking at him being more of a bottom six guy, more of a third liner, and it's a great problem if you're the abs, if you you want to sort of tongue-in-cheek call it a problem. But, I mean, they got the big line, and then they bring in Nazem Kadri. I think Kamenev, you know, there's a lot to like there, and it's just a matter of how much has his development stalled because of all the missed games. I think when you have a player like that, you don't want to rush them into a big role. And with him, I, I think he can be serviceable in that bottom six role. You're not wasting his talents there. He can help your team out. And if you're Colorado and you can roll that deep, uh, then that's a fantastic thing. And it, and it goes you know a long way to explaining why Colorado has really been on the upswing lately because they've accrued some very nice talents that they have to find places for in their lineup. 
All right, we got a question here from uh, Rick Jackson. I'm going to change this question a little bit uh, just because right now he can't play. But Cole Caulfield, the question he has is, do you think we ha- there's an opportunity he could play some games in the NHL this year? Or do you think his size limits what he'll be able to do in the NHL? I guess the real, real question is, do you think that he'll sign with the Canadians after the NCAA this season and with the potential of playing a couple games like Ryan Paling and then going full-time next year? Or do you expect him to sp- spend a couple more years in the NCAA? Well, I mean, Cole Caulfield is off to a tremendous start to his NCAA campaign. And, you know, he's playing against older competition. That's the good thing about the college game is Cole Caulfield is 18 years old. Some of the guys he's playing against are 23, sometimes even 24 years old. So that's really good for him. He's playing stronger guys. He had some experience doing that last year with the NTDP because they also play a couple of games against college programs. And they're usually pretty good college programs at that. I could see Caulfield coming to Montreal at the end of this year. I could see him being a one-and-done guy. But there's two factors that I want to put into your head for consideration. One is gym time. You know, Cole Caulfield, obviously he can get the job done offensively. The early returns are very good at Wisconsin. But this is the NHL we're talking about. So would Cole Caulfield be better served having another season in Madison where he can hit the gym several times a week, take advantage of that game schedule that's basically just weekends, and not necessarily get bulky, uh, but just stronger. I mean, he's going to have to be a guy with a low center of gravity that guys are going to miss a lot when they try to hit, but he's still going to have to hold his own in the NHL. We know that. The second consideration is how far does Wisconsin go this year? Is this a national championship team? You know, with my top 100 players to watch, in the NCAA this season, on the website now, shameless plug, a lot, of, yeah, a lot of them were Badgers. You had Caulfield, Alex Turcotte, Keandre Miller. You know, I know a lot of Sabres fans are excited about Linus Weisbach. Um, you know, the Badgers are pretty stacked. Wyatt Kalanick, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers defensive prospect. They're in a good situation. If the Badgers go deep or win it all, I think that will impact Caulfield's decision. Say the Badgers go deep but don't quite win it. Does Caulfield maybe say, I want that national title. Let's do one more season. I could totally see it. I mean, a lot of these elite guys are competitive like that. Um, If they win it all, then maybe he says, okay, well, I got that title. Let's move on to the next step. I think I'm ready. And if Cole Caulfield helps the Badgers to a national championship, I don't think anybody's going to complain about what his next steps are. So overall fitness and strength and how the Badgers do, for me, are the big factors. And that we obviously won't know until the end of the season. But I certainly think it would be possible for him to be one and done and get in a game or two with the Habs if he so chose. Simon Roulard asks, how surprised are you to see prospects such as Josh Lawrence and Stephen Halliday granted C ratings by the NHL Central Scouting? Are these prospects for real or simply overhyped at the time? And I know you are a fan specifically of Halliday. I am, and I'm a big fan of Josh Lawrence too. Um, What I think is important to realize here is that when these prospects first come onto my radar, you know, sometimes they're 
already 17. Sometimes they're 15, depending on you know how good they are and and you know how good their starts are to their careers. There's a lot of variance that comes with these players. So let's start with Josh Lawrence. You know, I saw him a couple of summers ago at a skills camp in Toronto, and he looked electric. You know, smaller player, but amazing wheels. You know, he had been drafted by St. John in the Quebec League, and, you know, that was a rebuilding team, so he was going to get some some pretty good responsibility, nice time there. Uh, Stephen Halliday was actually at the same camp, and when I saw him, it was almost the opposite, where it's like, here's a big dude with great hands. If he could get his skating up to a higher level, then you really had something here. And he was committed to the University of North Dakota. So fast forward to today, both players still certainly on the radar. Um, but Josh Lawrence, five points in his first 10 games with the Sea Dogs this season. Uh, last year, decent amount of points, but not mind-blowing. Um, still has a speed, still kind of undersized. So I, I think, you know, a C rating is fine. You know, central scouting, it's it's kind of a vague guide, and a lot of people won't agree with the rankings, but they, they tend to be kind of conservative because they don't want to put a kid out there as an A or a B prospect and have NHL teams come back to them and say, no way is that kid going in the first round or the second round. Um, so you're going to get a lot of Cs that a lot of people might think are Bs or even As in some cases. So I don't fault Central Scouting for that, but... By the same token, it's important to take those rankings with a grain of salt. Stephen Halliday, you know, the most recent time I talked to a scout about him, he was said, oh, yeah, you know, big fan. He's probably a second rounder. Um, now, that was before the season began, but it's all going to be dictated by how well Stephen Halliday performs uh, with Dubuque in the USHL, which is where he is this season. You know, he's with Central Illinois last year. They folded, dispersal draft. Fighting Saints got his rights. I thought it was a great pickup. You know, I still want to see him get faster. And if he can do that, then he's going to be a great prospect. But it is a big if. I mean, he has to accomplish that. He has time. And, you know, if he does it while he's at the University of North Dakota, that's fine. He might turn out to be a steal for whatever team drafts him, depending on where he goes. I would say with both Lawrence and Halliday, they have aspects of their game that they need to work on. Uh, there's still a lot of potential there. But at the same time, when we look at rankings now, we have to be realistic and say, you know, who has passed them? Who has simply matured their own games? Uh, you know, sometimes other players just get better at a higher rate. So it's, it's not a knock on either player. I think it's just about them finding their level in their draft class and us remembering that players develop at much different rates. And what we see now is not necessarily what these players are going to be like in five years. All right, we had another good question here from uh, Anthony Louie. And he was asking, now that Oliver Wallstrom is kind of emerged as he has with the Islanders, what happens with Josh Hosang? And is there a chance that maybe there's a Jesse Pugliarvi for Hosang uh, trade at some point? Mm, that's a very interesting and very specific trade. The word that we're hearing is that the Islanders and Hosang are looking for another organization for him. And I don't think uh, there's any animosity necessarily. It's just it's not working out. The spots aren't there. And, you know, the ascent of Oliver Wallstrom 
certainly a factor. You know, he played his first NHL game the other night. Uh, what was really interesting to me is I had a chance to speak with Wallstrom over the summer, and he talked about how much more he liked the pro game than he did the college game. You know, he spent one season at Boston College, and it started off really rough, got much better, you know, as the season progressed. Uh, but then he left, played some games with Bridgeport in the AHL, and he was saying that he just felt much more comfortable in the pro game uh, because other players were where they were supposed to be. He, you know, for his particular game, you know, he wasn't knocking college, uh, and he loved the college experience itself, uh, but the pro game was much more suited to his talents. And I think that's a big reason, you know, the jump that we've seen in Wallstrom has been a great benefit for him. But also if you're the Islanders and you have a player in Hosang who you've given a chance and for whatever reason, the player and the team just haven't been on the same wavelength. It gives you another out to say, sorry, Josh, you know, like Wallstrom has done everything that we've wanted, and we're going to give him a shot. Hosang for Pugliarvi, it's very intriguing because it's two players that definitely need a change of atmosphere. And it's kind of fun because Hosang and Connor McDavid played together, uh, you know, their, their minor hockey with the Toronto Marlboros and were very successful. I'm not sure if you would put them on the same line in the NHL or if you would try to spread the love, but... You'd have to obviously look at a lot of details in that trade. First and foremost, when does Jesse Pugliarvi intend on coming back to North America? Would he come back right away to play for the Islanders? Or is he happy back in Finland where he is currently a point-per-game player and getting his confidence back? All right, we got uh, Ted Rishak who asked, who is the next Patrick Kane? And I know a lot of people were kind of comparing uh probably one of his biggest fans, uh, which is Jack Hughes. Who is the next Patrick Kane in your eyes? Well, it's funny because initially I was like, eh, it's easy, I'll just say Jack Hughes. But Jack Hughes is already in the NHL, and he is playing center. Kane obviously uh, you know, made his mark as a winger. So I'm going to say Cole Perfetti. Uh, Cole Perfetti up for the draft this season, going to be a very high pick, plays for Saginaw in the OHL, just Amazing vision, great shot, dazzling young player, not a ton of size, just like Patrick Kane. Uh, I think he could have a similar impact. This is a kid that can ring up points. And, you know, the first time I saw him was minor midget, uh, played for a team called the Vaughn Kings, which is just north of Toronto. And he really carried them into the final of the OHL Cup, uh, which is sort of the the big tournament at the end of the season. They played against a stack squad. They lost. Um but Cole, Cole Perfetti was great. He's been excellent for Saginaw, just piling up goals. Uh, was fantastic last season. Was great at the Holinka Gretzky tournament this summer for Canada. So he got things off on a great roll. And I see that potential in him. I see that Patrick Kane kind of game in him. I see a player that could consistently get 85, 90 points in the NHL one day. So I'll go with Cole Perfetti. I've got a few more questions here. This one is from the Lace Em Up podcast. Um, Alexis Lafreniere and Quentin Byfield are both atop their respective junior hockey leagues in scoring. As good as they have been so far this season, what separates them from the top pick in the 2020 NHL draft? Uh, what traits, if any, do you see in either player? What separates them? I will say 
a razor thin margin. This is becoming a very intriguing scenario where both Lafreniere and Byfield are basically doing everything that you could ask of them. Both are leading their respective leagues in scoring right now. You know, both make their teams better. And I mean, really, it comes down to Lafreniere. He's a bit older because he has a late birthday. He's already played at one World Juniors with Canada. This summer at the World Junior Summer Showcase, I thought he was one of the best players in the entire camp. Uh, and that includes Sweden, Finland, and Team USA as well. Lafreniere really made Canada hum. And I think that's very important. Now, Quentin Byfield wasn't at that camp because he was playing at the Helenka Gretzky tournament for under-18s, which Lafreniere was not eligible for because of his late birthday. He was too old. And Byfield was excellent for Canada at the Helenka Gretzky. So both guys have shown up and done what is expected. Lafreniere, I feel like he's... Right now, he's just done a little bit more on the world stage, and he's definitely going to be on the world junior team with Byfield. I would like to see him there, but Canada tends not to bring a lot of young guys, so we'll have to see. I mean, there's so many candidates for forwards, uh, particularly at center with Canada. I hope Byfield is there, and then we'll have a really nice uh, idea of where these guys fit into the larger scheme of things. But with Lafreniere, I see a guy that, you know, makes his line mates better. He just gets in those spots to score and create. With Byfield, you just have so many different uh, attractive skills. He's got the size. He's got a cannon shot. He moves really well for a big guy. He's a natural center. If Byfield goes first this summer, I would not be shocked. If Lafreniere goes post to post as the number one prospect, I would also not be shocked. It's really hard to uh, distinguish between these two guys, even though they don't play entirely the same game. And, and obviously Lafreniere is a winger, but the effect they have, the impact they have is so fantastic that I think you can't go wrong. All right, I got two more here. Uh, Dryden Muzadi, a goalie himself, asks, who are your top three goaltender prospects for this year's draft? Ooh. And I know number one is pretty easy. Number one? Yeah, Yaroslav Askarov, he's the guy. Um, you know, I'll have to bone up on goalies because after Askarov, you know, you're really getting into uh, some unknown territory. I feel that, um, you know, in junior, I'm not sure yet. Um and I have to look at Europe. So right now, uh, Askarov is kind of my one. I think he's probably the only first rounder that I can think of right now. And then from there, I, I want to give goalies a little more time to um, establish themselves. You know, like Nick Malik um, would be one option. And um, Ian Bednar? From the Czech Republic, he's a yeah. You got Yen Bednar as well. I think that'd be another option. Um, think about Major Junior. You know, there's there's going to be some options, but no one has really established themselves yet because it's so early in the season. So I'll go with that trio. I will say this year, it's it's definitely a great number one goalie. 
and then it's kind of the, the talent drops off after that. You, yeah. You've got a star guy. You've got your Carter Hart type prospect. You've got your Andre Vasilevsky yeah. type prospect. You don't have a whole lot of guys that are kind of emerging as the secondary option right now. Mm. And Nick Malik's a guy that I, I really like. I've been following him since he's 14. I think he's going to be a fantastic prospect. But this year, it's going to be one really good goalie and then just kind of so-so. Yeah, exactly. No one's like really standing out early on. Uh, I'm sure that as things progress... We will see, um, but right now it's sort of like it's the it's the Yaroslav Askarov show, and uh, it's a pretty fun show. All right, I'll give you one last question here. I'm going to put you on the spot for this one. Okay. Uh, give me the name of three prospects that are uh, not maybe not top guys, not the, not the Byfields, not the Perfettis. Three prospects that are really impressing you so far this season. Mm, okay, yeah, that's a good one. Um, the first one that comes to mind is Alex Laferriere with the Des Moines Buccaneers of the USHL. Uh, one of the top scorers in the league so far. And, you know, I actually just put in a message to uh, a scout that I know, and I was like, is this kid for real? Like, he's really sort of jumped on the radar, and he's like, you know, needs some more time to see, but has a great stick and a great shot. So obviously that's, uh, you know, a a great thing to keep in mind for LaFerriere. Another player that I really like, and he's off to a great start, is William Wallander, uh, defenseman with Moto's junior team in Sweden. Big kid. I really liked him at the Junior Club World Cup, and he has put up some nice numbers on the back end so far with Moto's junior club. So he would be the second one. And then... Uh, you know, I guess I'll go for a third one who's impressing me. Um, maybe Yarmir Pitlick with Sault Ste. Marie. You know, this is a big power forward kind of kid, uh, play center. Greyhounds, uh, you know, not as powerful as they have been in the past couple of years. You know, Barrett Hayton, not there as their number one center. He's obviously with the Arizona Coyotes. But uh, I think Pitlick has a lot of potential. And actually, uh, Ryan O'Rourke. The defenseman with the Greyhounds, another one I've been impressed with. So I'll go with the pair of Sioux Greyhounds on that one. All right, that's uh, that's all we got. Excellent. Well, thanks, everybody, for your questions. This has been the Hockey News Podcast Prospect Edition, brought to you by Christian Hockey. I'm Ryan Kennedy. He's Stephen Ellis. Thanks for watching.